Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thank you. Good morning. Um, We're going to start today in Isaiah 55, and I'm going to read from the message version. So Isaiah 55, 1-3. Hey there, all who are thirsty, come to the water. Are you penniless? Come anyway, buy and eat. Come, buy your drinks, buy wine and milk. Buy without money, everything's free. Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me, listen well. Eat only the best, fill yourself with only the finest. Pay attention, come close now. Listen carefully to my life-giving, life-nourishing words. I'm making a lasting covenant commitment with you, the same that I made with David, sure, solid, enduring love. What a promise there is in that passage, and what an invitation for us. Come, eat, and not just any old thing from the fridge, the best, the finest, That's all you're going to get. And even better than that, it is all free. Um, I love free food, and I think we all do. Just in the announcements before, Simon even tried enticing us to an event with food. So, um, food is very important, and some strange things can happen when we hear that there is going to be free food at an event. Um, When I was finishing Year 12, I was thinking about what uni to go to and I went to an open day for Sydney Uni and they had platters of food all over the place. There was pies and sausage rolls and wraps and dips and chips. Are you getting a bit hungry? (laughs) All this stuff um, that I normally don't get at home. And (laughs) not now, when I was little. We were very strict. Um, But... Strange as it might seem, these platters of food are what tipped me over the edge to decide to go to Sydney Uni. My logic was that if a uni can put on this smorgasbord of food, surely it must be a good uni. So I went to Sydney Uni. In this Isaiah passage that we've just read here, God promises the Israelites a great life and he likens it to a smorgasbord of food. Come eat, he invites them. At the time that this was written, um, the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. And just to give you a bit of an idea geographically where that is, it's near where Baghdad is in Iraq right now. Um, And exile might sound like a bit of a bad deal, but the Israelites were actually quite happy there. Um, they, They had jobs, They were allowed to practice their religion and traditions. Some of them apparently were quite wealthy. So they had quite a good life. And then God invited them to come back to Israel, to war-torn Israel, to rebuild a ransacked Jerusalem. Might be a little bit of a hard sell. But God was looking to the future and he was offering them great things. He was offering them true satisfaction and fulfilment for these people who must have been 
just working hard, chasing things, but probably always feeling that there was a little bit more to life and they just couldn't get it. There we go, works. Um, Jesus takes the offer a step further a few centuries later with similar words. In John 7, 37 to 38, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus here says that he is the fulfillment of all our desires and he is the one who truly satisfies. In this series, we've been looking at the biggest story and the grammar of that, I still find it hard when I'm saying it, but getting there. Um, but how every um, story whispers Jesus' name. And in this verse, Jesus is saying um, that he is the point of the biggest story. He's the one that gives it all meaning. And he invites us to share in that story so that we can become part of it and be fully fulfilled and satisfied. But the question that I want to look at today is, what if we have come and drank from Jesus but we don't feel like we've experienced this fulfilment that he's promised. To put it another way, why do sincere followers of Jesus still have problems, sometimes terrible, life-threatening problems? What is going on there? How do we make sense of God's promises in the hard times? I've been quite nervous as I've been preparing this message because this sort of question can stir up really strong emotions in people because it is really raw and real. It's also a question that I've been struggling with for a long time now. So what I'm going to tell you is a bit of a summary of my thoughts so far but with the disclaimer that it's still very much a work in progress. The reason that I've been struggling with this question isn't because I've had a really tough life. I've been very blessed. I had a great family growing up. Um, my health is pretty good and I have a wonderful family of my own now. And it might be because of this good background that I've got that I was led to believe that life should generally be pleasant and maybe even more so, I have the right to a nice, easy life. And this is even more so when I read the promises in the Bible. I mean, aren't we redeemed? We're a new creation. We're victorious in Jesus. Where does suffering fit into this? So then, when things happened that didn't fit my nice, comfortable plan in life, I was a bit shocked. It was like turning up at uni that first day and there weren't just platters of food at every corner that I could just eat. What's going on? In fact, there was no free food for quite a while. Uni food was quite expensive on a uni budget. It's a bit rude. But the realisation that life isn't all plain sailing got me down for quite a while. The first time I remember confronting this issue was when I was 
head over heels for a girl. And I thought she was perfect, she was the one. This was a long time ago. Um, and I prayed that she would see this as well, but she just didn't see it. She just wasn't interested. Why not? I'd prayed for it and it was all good. She was a Christian. Why didn't God answer this prayer? And then a few years ago, I injured my foot. Um, people prayed for healing. I prayed for healing. Nothing seemed to happen. It did go away a long time afterwards, and this was after the surgeon had said it would never get better without surgery, and it did. So I, would, I do want to think of that as an answer to prayer. But why did it take so long and happen so slowly that I hardly even noticed it? Wouldn't it have been much better to have this spectacular healing and then I could stand up here and have this amazing testimony to tell? But didn't happen that way. And then recently, Hannah and I have been um, asking God for direction about where to go next in our lives. And we were really eager to get a clear sign from God and we prayed, we journaled, we listened, but we didn't get a clear sign from God. Why not? Some of you by now must be thinking, well, if this is the extent of Damien's problems, then he really doesn't have any problems. <laughs> um, and I agree with you. Some of you must be going through some things that make these issues look trivial. But for me personally, each one of these unanswered prayers was like a little chip out of my belief that God answers prayers and that he is reliable. So it is still significant. And every so often I've been finding myself asking why. Why do these things happen? Why isn't life generally good and cruisy once we follow Jesus, as the promises in the Bible seem to suggest? And then going further afield and making my problem even bigger, I constantly see and hear of people, close friends and strangers, um, who sincerely follow Jesus, but life is really tough for them. Sickness, um, job problems, family issues, the list goes on and we all know examples of this. How do we match up this reality on the one hand with the amazing promises of God in the other, that we will prosper, that our prayers will be answered, that we will be delivered from all our problems? Maybe you've wondered similar things or at least you're starting to see my problem here. And as I've been talking to people and reading things to try and figure this out, I've come to the uncomfortable realisation that there is no easy answer to this. And I find that very frustrating because I like clear answers. But this might be a question where we do have to accept some level of mystery, to trust God in spite of the unknowns despite the unknowns, and to know that he is okay with my questions and my doubts. I love the first time that I read in a book that it is okay to doubt, to question God, even to argue and wrestle with God. And there's abundant uh, 
precedent for this in the Bible. Think of people like Abraham, Isaac, David, not to mention Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, he pleaded with God to please take away this suffering. He didn't want to go through it. And then when he was on the cross, he yelled out, God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus questioning God. It was such a relief for me to know that God can handle our doubts and questions. I felt like I finally had permission to come to God with everything. And yes, everything. All those dirty little things that I don't even want to admit to myself. God can handle those things. And even more, he actually prefers us to come to him with these things than to come up with a front saying, I'm all okay, I've got it under control. So the first takeaway for us today is when life gets tough, keep talking to God. Come to him with everything. When prayers don't seem to be answered, keep praying. When life sucks, come to God, talk to him. Remember his faithfulness in the past and keep talking to him. But while acknowledging that there is some mystery, I think we can make a bit more sense out of how God's promises work in the hard times. But to do this, we're going to need to have a really good hard look at who God is. So when life doesn't go as we think it should, there are two common conclusions that we can reach. The first one is we might be tempted to think that God doesn't really care. He might be all-powerful, but look at the state of the world. He could change it, but he doesn't seem to be, so he mustn't care. But the problem is, we cannot believe that and believe the Bible as well. It, they are just not compatible. Just take Romans 8.38 for an example. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, are we getting the picture here? Nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying, I don't know how to make it any clearer, but God loves us. He cares. And it's not just some future perfected form of us with a little halo on our heads that he loves. It is us right now as we are. And the Bible is chock-a-block with references like this. But the ultimate proof of God's love is found in Jesus. In John 15, 13, it says that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But he chose not to just physically die, but to actually become separated from God for a time being to buy us our freedom. That's amazing love. And I know that it can be hard to believe this when times are tough. But he does so love us. One author whose book I read 
um, a while ago. He said that we should stand in front of the mirror every morning and tell the person in the mirror that you are loved and repeat it over and over again because we need reminding of this truth. But we cannot say that God doesn't care. So what do we know about God? He loves us immensely. The second response to the state of the world could be that, yes, we know that God cares, but again, look at the world. Look at all the problems. It doesn't seem to change, so maybe God isn't powerful enough to change it. Again, let's look at Scripture. One of the classic stories of someone questioning God is Job. He suffered terrible loss and he couldn't understand why. He questions God for much of the book. But then in chapter 38, God turns the tables and he starts questioning Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And God continues questioning Job until Job realised who he was and by comparison who God was. And then all he could conclude was, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jesus himself says in Matthew 19, with man this is impossible, and he's talking about rich people being saved. But with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God. He created this whole world, this whole universe, and he's in total control, even when it doesn't appear that way. So the second thing we know about God is he is all-powerful. And we need to hold these two truths, his immense love his power, you have to hold them both together to get a balanced understanding of God. But the question remains, how do we make sense of God's promises in the hard times? Why would he let us suffer? And this is a huge, huge question. There have been heaps of books written on it. So we can't go into all the ins and outs of it here. But I do want to give us a few principles that will help us as we wrestle with this question. The first one is that God does not promise us an easy life. If you look at the stories in the Bible, the common trend is not that it is going to be easy to be a Christian. In fact, Jesus says several times that life will get harder when we follow him. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Not exactly a life of luxury. Of his followers, he says that they must take up their cross and follow me. So he's saying that we need to be prepared to bear the shame and the pain of something as extreme as crucifixion to be his followers. That's not comfortable. But what it means is that I shouldn't be offended when my life is not easy. On the other hand, we can take courage from Jesus in John 16, where he says, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 
There is hope there, even though we can expect trouble. Secondly, God promises to be with us in the troubled times, but he doesn't necessarily promise to take us out of those troubled times. Psalm 23 comes to mind here. David says, Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, and we might say there, Though I have troubles, though I suffer in this world, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God doesn't always take away our problems, but he does promise to always be with us in the problems. And I think that is really encouraging. And there are many reasons why he doesn't take us out of the problems. And some reasons might be true of some situations, some might be true of others. I'm just going to go through a few possibilities here. The first possibility um, is that maybe sometimes God really values our free will and he isn't going to force himself on us. Revelations 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Sometimes maybe in a situation, God will say, I will come in and be a part of your situation if you want me to, but I'm not going to barge in if you'd rather do it your own way. Maybe that's an answer to the why. At other times, bad things happen because this world is broken and we are still part of this world and its laws. We're still living in it. But we need to remember that this is only temporary. Revelations 21, 4-5 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So while we're in this broken world, we can take encouragement that it is temporary. Then maybe there are times when he lets us go through problems so that our faith can grow stronger. In the Love and Logic parenting course, the presenter often says that parents need to let their kids make little, mistake, little mistakes and deal with little problems so that when the big problems of life come along, they'll have learnt how to handle them. Is this what God might sometimes be doing as well? Maybe in some cases, but surely not in others. Third thing... There is a battle going on. A startling fact for you. Even though God is almighty, he doesn't always get his way here on earth. For example, God wants everyone to repent, but not everyone repents. We need to realise that there is a war going on between God and Satan, and we are caught up in the middle of it. This wars led to interesting things like angels being held up for three weeks by Satan when they wanted to go and help Daniel. And you can read about that in Daniel 10 if you want to get the whole story. But for us it can mean that we might experience problems or unanswered prayers and it's because of this cosmic battle that's going on that we can't actually see. So there are many maybes and many possible 
reasons why life can be hard and prayers remain unanswered. But I think it is really important that we don't get stuck on the why question. Why did this happen? Because often we don't know. And it can lead to quite a lot of unnecessary hurt when people try to analyse other people's issues and say, this is why your prayers weren't answered. So as hard as it might seem, I think it is important that our focus stays on God, on what his character is, what his promises are, and that we remember this as we're experiencing hardship or as we're walking with someone else through their hardship. But after considering these facts, I then found myself wondering, well, if God doesn't promise us an easy life, and if he doesn't take us out of the hard times, what is the point of following God? And that was a really shocking thing for me to um, have that question. I've recently been reading a book called God on Mute, where the author, Pete Grieg, explores unanswered prayer and the silence of God. And I highly recommend it if you are um, wrestling with this issue. But to answer my question about why we should follow God despite hardship and suffering, I want to draw on a summary from his book. This is the God who we are invited to follow. One whose promises are certain though they might not always mean what we want them to mean. One who has been there before us, in the pain, in the separation, in the unanswered prayers. God has been there before us in Jesus. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus knows what we're going through and we can take encouragement from that. We're invited to follow a God who walks with us, counsels us and prays for us. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. The Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't know how to. How cool is that? We're invited to follow one who has prepared a place for us, a place where it really will all be good. John 14, 3, Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He promises that there is more than this present suffering. We follow one who invites us to participate in seeing his kingdom come here on earth. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God partners with us, us broken people, to do his work in this world. And lastly, in Romans 8.28, we are invited to follow a God who promises that all things will work together for the good of those who love him. 
might not be in the, in the timing or the way that we wanted it to happen, but God has our good in mind and ultimately it will come to pass. What a God. What a smorgasbord of promises this is. It's an amazing invitation for us to follow a God who offers this. And I know that not all of our questions on this topic have been answered and I continue to wrestle with it. But what I can know that is even when life is tough, even when it doesn't feel like it, these promises still hold true. So let's finish up with the wonderful promise at the end of Isaiah chapter 55, which we've been looking at today. So this is verses uh, 10 to 13. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, It shall make a name for for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And all this is fulfilled in Jesus. Our God is our loving Father. He completely loves us. His words do not return empty, but they do achieve all that he wants them to. And he will ultimately make all things new. These are the promises that we need to hold on to when we face the realities of life. I want to encourage us all to keep praying, keep expecting miracles, keep deepening our relationships with God, even when life is painful or looks hopeless, because his promises are unshakable. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can rely on you in the midst of life's challenges and that you do invite us into such an amazing life with you. Amen. Thank you.